Today's scripture reading is in two parts. The first one is um, from Mark chapter 3, verses 1 to 5, and the second one is in James 1, verses 1 to 4. I'm reading the chapter in Mark. So let's hear the word of God. Mark 3, 1 to 5. Another time he went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he will heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with a shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. This is the word of God. James 1, 1-4. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings, trials and temptations, consider it pure, pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Amen. During the summer months, we have a number of guest preachers coming to join us at Knox, and we're really glad today to welcome a friend of Knox, a missionary that we have supported through Knox World Mission, uh, Mr. Dave Jeffrey. So Dave, why don't you come forward? Dave has worked with Wycliffe Bible Translators, uh, and he is currently serving with their, and I better get this right, the, uh, he's the Vice President for Academic Affairs for the Canada Institute of Linguistics, and we are just delighted to see you again. You are a welcome friend, always, Dave, and let's pray for him right now, shall we? Sure. Gracious God, we thank you for our friend Dave, and we pray that as he delivers your word, as he preaches, we pray that you would anoint him, fill him with your Holy Spirit. Give him much grace and power, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome. Thanks. As always, it's great to be back with you here at uh, Knox. And uh, it's our pleasure to have been part of the Knox World Missions team since 1987. So we're getting close to a bit of an anniversary next year. So that's kind of a cool thing to think about. And, and God's grace and power through all that is, is, is uh, to him be the glory. Uh, many of you heard along those lines, heard me talk on topics related to missions uh, at different times when we've been here, uh, but I want to focus on something a little different here this morning, and uh, so you'll see as I, as I expand on that uh, what, uh, what I'll be focusing on. There are many simple activities that we are capable of doing every day with the strength and dexterity found in the average adult hand. For most of our lives, we take for granted, the ability to hold a pen to write, to snap our fingers, to use chopsticks, type on a keyboard, change the gears on our bikes, cut up an apple, open a can with a can opener, open a creamer container, serve a volleyball, many, many other things that we do with our hands every day. 
So when something causes you to lose the strength and dexterity in a hand, uh, suddenly all those previously simple things get very complicated. How many of you have had the pleasure of knowing or had the pleasure of knowing longtime Knox member Doug Ord? Many of you, of course, know uh, Doug. He's a good friend of ours, and I'm not sure if Maureen is here today, but I believe Sarah is here today, so it's fine. Very wonderful for them to be here. So, yeah. Oh, great. There you are. <laughs> oh, there. Oh, good, 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 good. <laughs> um, uh, well, it turns out that uh, uh, Doug passed away in December of 2011, a number of years ago, not so long ago. Well, it turns out that he and I have something in common. Uh, he and I have both been, or were both, diagnosed with amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, more commonly referred to as ALS, or Lou Gehrig's disease. ALS is a terminal disease with no known cure. I want to share a bit of my story so far with this disease, and some of the scripture passages, actually were already just read for us, that God has used to encourage me and to change my discouragement and self-pity into contentment and peace. I hope there will be an encouragement to you as well, and I'd like to dedicate these thoughts uh, to Doug's memory. First, a few questions. Do any of you know anyone other than Doug who has had ALS? Uh, it's uh, not a common disease, and yet it affects circles of people, I know. Uh, okay, how many of you did the ice bucket challenge a couple of years ago, poured buckets of cold water or ice over your head? Did any of you do that? Uh, my gratitude to those of you who did that, uh, I never did it, didn't have any connection to me at that time. I saw no need to be involved in it. Uh, but that uh, fundraiser challenge that went viral, of course, through the internet, and many, many celebrities dumped buckets of ice water on their head, uh, raising funds for ALS research. And uh, as a result of that, uh, the, the givings that of, of, through that and another amount that was uh, matched by the federal government, there were $20 million spent on ALS research in 2015. So I just say, go, go, guys. <laughs> uh, my ALS story started in the spring of 2014, so a couple of years ago. It all began with an unusual weakness in my right hand, and that's the, the main area of impact right now. I enjoy cycling, and I love to ride uh, 20 or 50 kilometers or even longer at a time when I'm in shape on my road bike. But I was finding it hard to change the gears. Some, those of you who have bike, road bikes, you know that there's, it's all in one handle. The brake handles also the gears. So I finally went to see my family doctor in June uh, 2014, and, and I told him what was happening. And he looked at my hand and he said, what's this? And he pointed to the hollowed out area between my index finger and my, and my right hand. I'd never noticed how shrunken it was there compared to my other hand, which is, for most people, there's a lump there. It's a muscle. He told me that he was sending me to a neurologist, which I didn't really know what was going on at the time. I didn't know that, what the connection was. Uh, and although it wasn't until four months later that I was diagnosed with ALS, I now realize that my, my family doctor, he suspected ALS from our very first visit. October the 28th, 2014, was the day that I knew I had ALS. The Vancouver Clinic doctor did a good job of telling us her voice was gentle but firm so as to leave no doubt that this was indeed the case. I suppose she had said those same words to people many times before. Susan and I cried and cried and held each other. The doctor told me that the life expectancy for people with ALS is two to five years. The doctor gave me a couple of pieces of paper. It turned out to be an application to join the ALS Society of British Columbia. 
Somehow that hit me hard. I'd crossed the line that I never wanted to cross and was joining a group that I'd never planned to join. But my illness qualified me for a lifetime membership in the society. So I sent the form in right away, never turned down a freebie, right? You want to do those things. Now, being diagnosed with cancer would have meant beginning sessions of chemo and radiation therapy and perhaps even surgery. We're all well aware of that. But ALS is different. There's no treatment for ALS. So we were to call the doctor with our questions in a month's time. And then my next appointment at the clinic was five months later. It felt strange going home that day, knowing that there was nothing that modern medicine could really do for me. We're used to hearing of breakthroughs in the treatment of diseases, but despite many years of research, there was little the doctor could offer besides a promise to be there when we needed help. ALS is a disease that kills off motor neurons, the part of our nervous system that makes our muscles work. That's what I'm doing right now using my motor neurons. As the neurons die as a result of the disease, the muscles that are controlled by them wither away and eventually they die as well. So the parts of the body that are affected lose their strength and seem to wither. In some cases, the weakness begins in the arms, like me, and they lose coordination and the ability to, lose, to use their hands. For others, it starts in their legs, and it makes it increasingly hard for them to walk. And still others, it affects their throat muscles, and almost immediately, they lose the ability to speak and then to swallow. Eventually, the muscles that allow us to breathe are affected. ALS is comparatively rare. Only about 1 in 50,000 people get it. So right now, for example, in Abbotsford, a city of 138,000, there are four of us, me and three others that we're aware of, at least. There's no known cause, as I mentioned, for ALS and, and no known cure. So it's been almost two years since I was diagnosed, October 2014, and here we are in July 2016. And the most striking thing so far about having a terminal illness is how slowly it's, it's changing me. Life is carrying on mostly as it al always has. I'm still working normal hours, teaching, as, as Reverend Phil mentioned, although I'm taking time off to do fun things like holidays, and we are going to do some holidaying during our time in Ontario. My trembling right arm is starting to give me problems, and I really can't write anymore or, or lift a coffee cup and many of those things I mentioned earlier. So I, I'm basically becoming very much dependent on my left hand right now. I actually wrote a whole crossword puzzle on the plane using my left hand, so it looked kind of funny, but I got through it. <laughs> Uh, but I can still walk and teach and sing in our little choir that we have at Trinity and ride my bicycle. According to my doctor, I'm a six-month guy. It takes about six months to see major changes in my condition. Other people with ALS can change much faster. Some see changes after three months or even one month. A friend in Richmond Hill was diagnosed in September of 2014, and he passed away in February of this year and several others, actually, people from Abbotsford have passed away this year. But as for me, people who don't know me often don't realize I'm sick. Perhaps it wasn't obvious uh, at first. As I mentioned, there's no treatment, there's no breakthroughs that we're aware of for this disease. Think of someone you know who has cancer, and there's probably some here in this group right now. How do we talk about that disease? What metaphor do we use? What do we compare it to? We often compare treating cancer to fighting a battle. Uh, I've uh, three times I've done the ride to conquer cancer. Both my parents died of cancer. Uh, and all of their literature uses this language to fight 
uh, as, a, as the metaphor of a battle. I remember when my mom had cancer, we would say things like, you've got to fight this thing. But with ALS, because there's no treatment regimen and there's these very widely spaced checkups, that there's not much news and not much change, and it feels like I'm not really fighting, in a sense. It's just life goes on. And because of that, it's been easy to feel sorry for myself, I will confess. Uh, the why me syndrome, that sense of waiting for the end, waiting to die has had me depressed a number of times. I know that barring a miracle, it will only get worse from here on. And so dread of the future sometimes distracts me from the simple pleasures of the present, such as being here today. Many times in the last year, I've had wonderful times with family and friends, and I've broken down afterwards and wept and asked God for many, many more such times. But God is good, and he has encouraged me in many different ways. My family has been fantastic. <clears throat> my wife has been a tower of strength, and my children have been remarkably close and caring. Many of our friends have taken time to listen to my story and to pray with me. I decided not to delay in telling our circle of family and friends about my illness, so fairly soon uh, after I was diagnosed, most of the people in my life knew what was happening. And I, so I find that people now look at me differently. They grip my hand, look me straight in the eye, and they ask, how are you? And I know they mean more than the general, how are you? They really want to know. And I appreciate their concern, but I wonder inside, how sh what should I say? How should I respond? How am I to live in this situation? From the first day I knew I have ALS, I have had the strange sense of being chosen for this. I guess it's because ALS is comparatively rare, other than Doug, I'm the only one Susan and I knew previously who had this disease. I've had this sense that I've been chosen by God to experience ALS in front of many others, my wife and children and extended family, my, <clears throat> my friends, my church, churches, my students and colleagues. The dictionary defines the verb choose as meaning to pick or select someone or something as being the best or the most appropriate of two or more alternatives. So when God chooses someone or something, it is part of his perfect plan, the best thing that can happen to them. This brings us to scripture. What does God say about being chosen? There are many scripture passages that speak of God choosing his people. And here are just three that I'll read for you. In John 15, 16, Jesus tells his disciples, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. So note the connection that Jesus makes between choosing and fruit bearing. A person chosen by God bears fruit that brings glory to God. Paul writes in Colossians 3.12, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. As chosen, beloved people, we are to act as God himself does, with love and kindness to all. Peter writes in 1 Peter 2.9, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So we are chosen that we may declare his praises wherever God might take us. So let's take these passages and make them personal. 
I, Dave Jeffrey, was chosen by God to believe in him. How many of you have been chosen by God to believe in him? In other words, you are my brothers and sisters in Christ. Perhaps you're not there yet, and that's fine. We're glad you're here. But if you are, it's wonderful to share and worship together. Isn't that a privilege? We've been chosen by God himself. September the 24th, 1974 was the day it started for me. I was 18, and I put my trust in Jesus Christ. Not long after that, I was chosen by God to go to Bible college and eventually become a missionary. God chose me to be part of a worldwide movement to bring the Word of God to people everywhere in their own language. Then in 2014, I was chosen to live a life of faith and declare His praises despite having ALS. I realized that I, too, have a choice. I could choose how I would react to getting ALS. I could choose, as some people do, to become angry with God and blame Him for my sickness and growing weakness. Taken to an extreme, I could choose to turn away from God and lose my faith entirely. I would guess that many of us here know people that have gone this direction. They have suffered some kind of personal tragedy that caused them to question and eventually give up their faith. However, I knew I could also choose to stay with God and to try to see my sickness from from a perspective of faith. I could seek comfort from Him and not doubt His love for me. Note the line in the song, we will be singing this song after, uh, when we sing once more in a minute, uh, in uh, Blessed Be the Name, that we are going to sing a song together with a line that says, my heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name, even if we don't feel like it or don't understand what's going on in our lives. And so this is the choice I have made. There are many other scripture passages that have challenged and blessed me and in which I have found spiritual strength and direction during this time. So one such passage is the the passage from Mark that we heard read just a few minutes ago. Jesus enters a synagogue, and a man is there who had a withered hand. There's this debate with the Pharisees. Is Jesus going to heal him? Jesus, of course, goes ahead and and, and heals this man in in a wonderful miracle. So it's a great passage, one of many healing stories in the Gospels. But the verse that caught my attention was the first verse, the man had a withered hand. I have a withered hand. Did that man have ALS too? I look now at such passages quite differently. Note the instant complete healing that the Lord bestowed upon the man. Would I love to experience that? I have many times just stretched out my hand, praying silently, now, Lord, how cool it would be if I was to be healed right now. The first Sunday after I heard the diagnosis, I was uh, of ALS. I was prayed for by the elders of our church in British Columbia. Not long after this, we had a Sunday evening healing service at our church, and I went forward and asked for prayer. And since then, colleagues in different places, different times have prayed for me to pray for healing. So far, God has not answered with sudden, miraculous physical change in my hand. In fact, it continues to gradually weaken. But as I mentioned already, I have a slow progressing variety of ALS. So maybe that's God's answer to prayer. Take it easy kind of thing. Perhaps, but I think more important than the physical change is the emotional healing that I have experienced at these, during these times of prayer. It, during each of these times, I have experienced a deep sense of peace 
knowing that God has heard our prayers and that he will do what is right. I have a choice again, don't I? I I can either be angry with God for not healing me, or I can accept his not yet answer and move on in faith that God still loves me. Just the healing is a not yet. The passage that most clearly mirrored the choice I made to trust God is Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I'll read Mark's version of this prayer in chapter 14. And they came to an olive grove called called Gethsemane. And Jesus said, sit here while I go and pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be filled with horror and deep distress. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and watch with me. He went on a little farther and fell face down on the ground And he prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me, yet I want your will, not mine. While I do not know what the future holds or how long it will be before I become truly disabled by ALS, Jesus knew exactly what was about to happen to him. The physical and spiritual torment he was about to experience was crystal clear in his mind, and he was filled with horror and deep distress at the thought. But rather than succumbing to anger or self-pity or taking matters into his own hands, he prays a simple prayer, three simple statements. Everything is possible for you, God. No sickness or circumstances are beyond God's power to miraculously change them. Please take this cup of suffering away every part of me is dreading what is to come. But I want your will, not mine. Despite my fears of what is to come, I will follow you and do your will. How many of you have prayed this prayer when faced with challenging circumstances? I'm sure many of you have at different times in your life. Maybe you didn't think of it as compared to the Gethsemane prayer. I have several times now. I know that God has the power to heal me of ALS at any time he chooses. With all my heart, I want this disease to go away and not be part of my life. Since being diagnosed, I have met many people now in the advanced stages of ALS, and knowing that I will soon be like them fills me with deep distress. Yet I simply want God's will to be done in my life, and I choose to follow him wherever he leads. Why do troubles and sufferings come into the lives of the believers? In James 1, we heard again read for us this morning, Uh, James says that, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Hard to do that one, isn't it? (laughs) For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. So James says that troubles and suffering should make us glad because they serve to test our faith and trust in God, a kind of short-term pain that God allows in order to build this long-term gain of character. So I need to consider, is it possible that ALS is some kind of test of my faith? Well, there's no doubt in my mind that this is true. My faith is being tested on a daily basis. This is my first personal brush with chronic sickness and disability. The limitations of having a weak hand are growing. I find I'm tempted to respond with frustration and anger when I can't turn a screwdriver or use a can opener anymore. 
I make jokes about it with friends, but cry and moan on the inside. It takes self-control to avoid getting angry or to feel sorry for myself. But God is good, and he is giving me peace and joy as I focus on others rather than on my own struggles. Another aspect of suffering in the life of believers is found in John chapter 9, the famous story of John healing, uh, of Jesus healing the blind man. And I'll read a bit of it for you. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Teacher, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it a result of his own sins? Somehow the future affecting his, his birth? Or those of his parents? It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. He was born blind, so the power of God could be seen in him. And then he goes on and he heals the man. It's the one where he makes the mud, puts it on his eyes. He goes and washes in the pool of Siloam, and he sees. It's interesting to me that the disciples can only think of two explanations for this man's blindness, as punishment for his own sins or the sins of his parents. And Jesus tells them a completely different possibility that has nothing to do with sin and punishment. He says that some things happen to people that are beyond their ability to control, such as sickness or blindness. But then when God intervenes and changes things, it is obvious to all that it is God at work in that person's life. And those who experience the change glorify God and his power. And this was certainly the case in John 9. The rest of the story tells how the man testified to Jesus' healing power despite being disowned by his parents, and then he got kicked out of the synagogue, if you remember that aspect of the story. So this passage makes me wonder, is it possible that I was given ALS so that the power of God could be seen in me? Well, I hope this is so. Um, so far, it has not been through a miraculous healing. I would love to tell you that story, of course. Um, but I do hope that I will glorify God in the way I react to my illness. I hope that in some small way, that is what I am doing in my talk here this morning and what I will continue to do as the disease progresses with your encouragement and prayers to supporting me. There are many other passages I could comment on in which I've found fresh insight since I learned about ALS. I'll just mention them briefly. Um, uh, the book of Job is all about suffering, of course, and, and the deeper reasons why suffering comes into a life. Uh, the song that we're about to sing, Blessed Be the Name of the Lord, is based on, the chorus is based on Job chapter 1, verse 21. Job's faith in the midst of incredible suffering is amazing. A wonderful testimony. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul talks about how the treasure of the gospel is held in clay pots, fragile little clay pots. In other words, our fragile mortal bodies, so that the power of the gospel might be seen to be of God. I certainly am sensing in a new way the fragility of my body, and more than ever acknowledging God's strength in my life. In Psalm 90, verse 12, the psalmist writes, teach us to number our days. Or as the New Living Translation puts it, teach us to realize the brevity of life. Being a healthy, active person, I'd always thought I would have a long life, but that has changed. Now I value each moment with my family, each visit with a friend, each day as a gift from a gracious God. Now I want to end with Paul's triumphant words in Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 39. But let me ask first, is God for us or against us? Is he for us? For us, right? 
So what does that mean to those who suffer? So again, I'll be reading from the New Living uh, Translation, Romans 8. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from God's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us? If we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death, as the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Wonderful words. So can sufferings of any kind separate us from God's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we suffer? No, God's love for us is constant, despite our circumstances. Nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Amen? Let me end with a few final thoughts for those of you who are going through times of trouble and suffering right now. I offer these humbly, knowing that I have still experienced nothing compared to what some people have gone through or are going through. One, don't keep it to yourself. Share your story with others. Only then can Christian brothers and sisters walk with you through the valleys of life. Two, pray to God for healing and deliverance. But if you don't get healed, don't think God doesn't love you. Know that his love for you never changes despite our circumstances. Three, see your struggles as a chance to glorify God and become a stronger believer. The example of patient, steadfast walking with God can strengthen the faith of those around you. And last, don't give up studying the word. If anything, it is way more relevant to you now, studying the Bible. I hope these passages we've looked at together are evidence of this. So I'm sure that's enough to think about for now. Thank you so much for your love and prayers for you and our whole family. We love being part of the extended Knox community and look forward to many more years together. May God bless you all richly. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we rejoice in the deep-set knowledge that you love us. And that love has become the deepest bedrock of, of our lives. Uh, that just makes everything else okay. And that we can live our lives. We know that these are fleeting moments here on earth, and then we move on to be with you. You're a good God, and that is a wonderful hope and uh, a tre something to treasure for the future. Be with each one of us, Lord, in our troubles as we cling to you and look to you for grace and strength amid them, look to you for deliverance and healing. 
We know you're there, Lord, and you care about every single aspect of our lives. Thank you for the chance to think of these things together this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.